Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie. Goodness gracious, I'm glad you're here. Today, we have a great show with you. I talked with my new friend, Mitchell Lee, and I'm a fan of him for sure. But I want to tell you a couple of things before we get started. In fact, I feel like I have so many things to tell you. First of all, my son turned 16 yesterday. This weekend, I'm at a college visit with my son. Oh, my gracious. My daughter is in her play at school, Matilda. This weekend, I'm speaking at Chapel Street Women's Event outside of Chicago. I hope that maybe some of you will be there tomorrow night on Saturday. I can't wait to see you. And next week, I will be in El Paso with Women of Welcome. We are doing two trips trips back to back, some with some of my friends that you might hear about, but then some with happy hour listeners. And I'm so excited about that trip. Also, next week is my husband's birthday. You guys, I told you I had a lot to tell you about a lot going on in the Ivy's household. Uh, But the main thing that I want to tell you is if you have been asking about our Sammy dolls, And if you're new around here, I released a book at the beginning of October called God Made You to Be You about a sweet little cactus named Sammy. And you may have seen some Sammy stuffed animal dolls around the world on the internet. And we had a handful made to send to friends of mine. But I'm here to tell you when our holiday gift guide releases, which is drum roll, here it is. Next Friday, you will be able to find out where you can get your own very personal Sammy doll. And it makes a great gift to give to anyone that you're giving the book to. But mostly our holiday gift guide. Oh my goodness, you guys, we bring some of our favorite places we think would be worth you spending your money this holiday season. We have everything from stocking stuffers to great big gifts to family gifts to kids gifts, all kinds of things that we want to tell you about next week. So it'll be on the podcast next Friday, a week from today. Also, if you go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube, you can watch from the uh, holiday gift guide filming, which there was a live audience, which we had so much fun. You're going to want to come next year is all I have to say about that. Also, you guys, I mean, the easiest way to find out about all of these things I'm telling you about is to be a part of our mailing list. We send out emails on Wednesdays and Fridays that have things from the show that we're releasing, like today when Mitchell Lee is on the show. We also tell you things that are coming up, what you should look for, and we will be sure and let you know how you can watch and listen and read about the holiday gift guide. Go to jamieivy.com and there's a place there for you to sign up for our newsletter. Okay, so many things to tell you. Now let's get to the show today. Today, my conversation was with Mitchell Lee, who is a pastor in Maryland. He lives there with his wife and five children, and he released a book called Even If, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms or just doesn't make sense. This book came out in August and I've had it in my office for a while and I sat down and read it recently. And I just have to say our conversation today is going to be so encouraging because I don't think there's anyone in the world right now that is going, you know what? Life just feels great. Even if you haven't lost a job or there is no diagnosis or there's no death in your family right now, I think we're all experiencing some sort of grief and trauma from just the last 18 months, no matter where you live in the world, North America, North Africa, wherever you might be. So our conversation today is special, and I hope that you are encouraged by listening to it. Here is my conversation with Mitchell Lee. 
Mitchell, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks, Jamie. What a joy to be with you today. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. And we were talking before we hit record about you living in Maryland and me living in Texas. And it's, you know, the fourth day into the month of November. And I'm freezing here in Texas because it's, I told you it's 52 degrees outside. And, you know, I don't even know what to do with my life. I woke up to 32 degrees outside and all of our back plants died from the frost. Oh my gosh. And the really sadistic thing is both my wife knew that there was a frost delay and we were like, well, you know, it's just time for those plants to turn over. (laughs) So we just let them freeze. It's terrible. It gets to a point where you have to go though, like, are we going to continue to love on these plants for the next, you know, five months? Or are we just going to say, this is it? Seriously. And these plants are like jalapeno plants. So it's not like you can just cycle them every day and have more and more jalapenos. Right. At some point, the plants just got to give. It's got no one to quit. And uh, the frost definitely did it. So it was a, it was a, a sad but rejoicing morning, a cold one for us. Well, you can think of us, your friends down here in Austin, Texas, that <laughs> if it hits 32, I mean, we might shut down school. We don't even know what we're going to do with our life. Because <laughs> you, you guys got snow last year, didn't you? Oh, that February. Was I mean, it will go down as, you know, a hundred year freeze or whatever. I mean, it was really bad in Texas. And I know a lot of the people in North kind of made fun of us because we couldn't handle it very well. But in all seriousness, we just, we don't know how to handle it. Literally not even people, but roads and electricity and all the things. It's just, we're not built for what happened. And it was an inconvenience for a lot of people, but it was super sad and people lost their lives. So, I mean, I know, but we just like, we kind of, I told you, it's literally 52 and I'm going to put a fire on in my house tonight because there's no other option. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what should we do? (laughs) But Mitchell, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. I was telling you that your book came through our office. It came out in August of this month. It's called Even If, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. And I am... An Enneagram six. What is your Enneagram number? Do you know? I am not an Enneagram person. Okay, well then I'll just full on. I'll just tell you the reason why I'm so drawn to conversations like we're going to have today, because my personality is we can be fear based, we can be worst case scenario based, but what I really want is I want to know a plan for what to do in those situations, and so Mm. books like yours they actually bring me so much hope because I think, okay, life's going to be hard. We know that we're going to struggle. Where are we going to find hope? Where are we going to find joy? How are we going to get through it? And so I'm the kind of person that's like, give me all of the stories about how we overcome adversity and walk through it and all the things. So I saw your book and I'm so happy to be talking to you today is what I need to tell everyone. And I mean, and we know life's going to be hard, but isn't it funny that it always catches by surprise when it yeah. is hard. Yes. Even though we already know it's going to be. Yes. It seems to almost hit reset for us every time. Like, wait, 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 why is this hard? It shouldn't be hard, but wait, life is hard. And that's the point of the book. I don't want to trivialize it, but nor do I want to tell people, hey, just suck it up and it'll be fine. Right. Because life is hard. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I think I'm the kind of person too who thinks if life is hard and we can acknowledge that, and if we don't just suck it up and get through it, like it's going to do something to us. I am the kind of person that I need you to tell me, Mitchell, what am I going to be like on the other side of it? Like, what Mm. is it going to be like? Does that, does that make sense about my type of personality is I need to know I'll walk through this fire. What for (laughs) like what's Mm -hmm. on the other side? 
And so I want to talk to you about this because I think everyone that's listening, there's no one that's not going to relate to this conversation today. That's right. what I think is so interesting talking about life's disappointments or life sufferings or life struggles is there's no one going, eh, not me. You know, even on our best days, right? We know someone that is struggling. And so I just want to jump in and you jump in in the beginning of this book and you talk about, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm really sorry. I'm laughing, Mitchell, but you talk about your life when you're graduating seminary and what it was supposed to be like. And I think that journey, although I've never been to seminary or pastored a church, I related to it so much. And so talk to us about that season of life and what that looked like for you. Oh my gosh, that was... And again, I'm sorry I laughed at you. That was so unprofessional, but I was just reading it going, poor guy. (laughs) I mean, and you know, you've been to a commencement, graduation Uh for a family, whatever. And there's always that crazy optimism, right? At every commencement and graduation, imagine that at a seminary Uh where it's all about the kingdom of God and people are telling you like, you're going to be sent out for God's purpose. And I had literally just gotten fired from my church and I'm in my parents' basement. It's literally me. I'm not even married at the time. It's me, my parents, my little sister, and my cousin who was there who happened to also be graduating. That's all I had around me. And I'm hearing this guy get up there and telling me how we're being sent off to do the kingdom work. And I'm like, the train has just left. Mm. And I'm still on this platform. This is not how it's supposed to go. And amplifying all of that was growing up in the church. I would always hear from very well-meaning people how God was going to use me, how much potential I had. And it felt like every time somebody would say that there was just this brick on my shoulder of upside that I had to meet. So you can imagine the crash when I'm fired, I'm left in the wilderness, everybody's leaving, and I've got all of this extra disappointment, not just with God, but I'm disappointing all these people who said, oh, life's going to turn into something for you. And that was the beginning of a pretty crazy wilderness for me of feeling, wait, what did I do? Did I not do something? Did I do something? God, what gives here? Because this feels like this was supposed to be a great kingdom plan and it's not turning out that way. You say in your book, you say you had a simple formula, my trust plus his plan equals smooth sailing. And I Mm -hmm. read that and thought to myself, I think I think that too sometimes like, God, I trust you. Your plan's going to be good for me. This is going to be a smooth sailing life. And so what happens when that doesn't happen? I mean, you got fired from your job, not only just a job, like you had put in years at this youth ministry. And did I read correctly? You grew up in this church? It's my home church, 20 plus years, home church. And you yeah. get fired right before you graduate seminary. Yep. Graduate seminary, everyone's saying you're going to do big things. And you're like, I don't have a job. I live with my parents (laughs) and no one's here to celebrate me. So what happens when that smooth sailing didn't hit? Like, where did you go from there? Oh, it was dark. I mean, I descended into the valley because, again, you're asking all these questions. Wait, I mean, you know, that formula, my trust, his plan, sprinkle a little bit of obedience on top of that. And it should totally be smooth sailing. And I felt like I had the trust. I had the obedience. I went to seminary, did all this thing. And where are you, Lord? What did I do? Mm. And I had a few people in my life, like Job's friends who came around and said, surely you must have done something. Wow. You must not have worked the formula correctly. And I found myself managing my mom's deli. I felt like I would have been disqualified. It's interesting. There's this movie called October Sky. Not many people know it. It's a total like small movie, but it It's this kid who wants to be a rocket scientist and he finds himself working in a coal mine. That's exactly what I felt like, Jamie. I was Mm. working in the coal mine and I thought this is what I deserved because I must have done something. Maybe the Lord will reveal it, but this is what I deserve. And it was about a year and some change 
in that getting up early in the morning, going to the deli, coming home, smelling like food and doing it all and over again without any hope that it was going to be anything different. In that season of really, you said this desolate kind of, you know, I don't want to call it a rock bottom unless that's what you want to call it, but just this like, Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be here. This is not how the plan was supposed to go. I'm working in my mom's deli and I thought I was going to be working at a church. I have two questions for you about that. Number one, did you ever want to abandon God or did you ever feel like you wanted to like, God, you have failed me. I'm kind of out. Even though you just graduated seminary, so you're supposed to be really smart in the God stuff. (laughs) Answer that first and I'll ask for my follow-up question. Yeah. Interestingly enough, it was never, I abandoned you, God, Mm. because I had thought it was me that I had done something wrong. And that's the only way I could think about it. That's the only way that I could make the scales balance was it must've been me. It must've been me. It must've been me. must've been my pride. must've been my arrogance. must've been whatever. And there were some things where some introspection was like, oh, okay, there's things that are dark in my heart that I'm seeing, but gosh, it's not enough to warrant or justify this. So it was never an abandoning of my relationship with God. It was really the easiest way to say it was like, it was just a oh pitiful me, mm. pitiful me. And it's different from a self-pity, like a self-pity. It was just, this is terrible. And I don't know what to do. Did you need an do. answer for why it had happened? Was that important to you? Because I think that's something that a mm-hmm. lot of people will struggle with. Yours is like job situation here, but other people it could be a diagnosis, mm-hmm. a child walking away from the Lord, a husband or wife unfaithful. You know, it, we fill in the blank, right? Did you need an answer for why this? Or are you one of those people that's like, God, I'm going to just keep walking forward and trust you. I know this is hard. Or did you find yourself going, I need to know? I didn't need an answer, but I wasn't walking forward either. Mm. I just was, I don't even think I was standing. I was sitting in the valley, in the ashes. I was just there. And in actuality, one of the things that the Lord really met me in was this little volume from a Puritan writer named Richard Sibbs. And it's called A Bruised Reed. And there was a phrase in that that absolutely maybe got me up to my feet standing. It was simply the phrase in his in his book that says, um, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. Mm. And Jamie, that I remember reading that page and soaking that page with my tears because what had lifted in me was this, I kept having this gnawing feeling that I must have done something wrong. I must have Mm. sinned. I must have done something to deserve this. And the notion that there was, even if I had, there's more mercy in Christ. Mm. That was the real beginning of a place coming to grips with who is this God that I say I follow and I worship. And maybe that actually, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe that act is what actually helped me when there wasn't an answer. Yeah. Because it wasn't so much that why or the motives, it was who, who is this God? Yeah. Who do I really believe he him to be? Because I mean, if we really think about it, Mitchell, as much as we want an answer, like I'm going to throw out a stat, I'm making it up completely off the top of my head. I would bet like 99.99% there's not an answer. I mean, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like if yeah. if I get a cancer diagnosis today, there's no answer for that. No answer. You know, no if answer. my child walks away, I would think it would be me, but really there's no answer. You know, there's no answer that would make me go, oh, okay, I can see why that might happen. And so you're yeah. right. It's like searching for that answer is, it's not even worth it. But think about in our Christian circles, how often though, because we don't know how to sit with people in their pain in the valley, mm-hmm. we 
try to offer answers or we try to point or pro- like as if we're encouraging them, like there must be an answer. Mm-hmm. I remember actually in seminary saying like committing to myself that it would never be one of those pastors who would come along somebody beside somebody in their ashes and say, well, you know, God's going to work something good out of this or God's going to work Ugh, a greater thing out of right. this. I don't know. I can stand on this promise. God will be with you in it. Mm. God will be with you. God will show you his presence. He will comfort you. I can stand on those promises, but sometimes that answer, we are led to search for it even more because of well-meaning people around us who, who for better or worse, they say, oh, there's got to be. And if I can get you that answer, then you'll be fine. Right. I don't know. You quote Kate Baller in this book and her book, Everything Happens for a Reason. She's a, a Duke yeah. professor. I read that book as well. Yeah. And she talks about that a lot yeah. of these kind of Christianese things that we throw around that we think are going to be helpful. And I sometimes wonder, I've grown so much in hosting this show for the past seven and a half years because I've had people teach me along the way. And and I will admit that maybe sometimes those would have been easy to throw around. But after talking to people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and they have said those things are harmful to say to people who are there, it's really taught me. But I think you're right. Sometimes we as Christians, we just feel like, well, we're Christians, we're supposed to have the answer. Like, we have all yeah. the answers. So let me try to give you one. And sometimes, you know, that we need to sit in that lament with them and really just sit and be. Yes, yes. To learn to live in that tension Yes. of, I don't know what's happening, but I don't have to fall into cynicism either. Mm-hmm. I can live in this tension. George Everett Ross says it's this ambidextrous faith that holds the trouble of the world in one hand and the goodness of God in the other. Mm-hmm. That we can hold that together and have an ambidextrous faith that's what I'm trying to recover. That's what I'm trying to encourage people to, because at the end of the day, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I have the answer, Mm -mm. because I know where it's going to end up, because I know I'm going to walk on your peaks. No, for you are with me. Mm, And that is the promise. That is the presence that we can bring both in our ministry when we're with somebody, but also even when we're departing from them Mm. to remind them that they are in the presence of God, even as we part our ways. You know, it's interesting you brought up the holding, you know, the, I think you said the goodness of God and then like the cruelty or weight of the world, whatever it yeah, might be. The trouble of the world. Yeah. The trouble of the world and having these both. And I have learned about that. Three of our kids are joined our family through adoption. And so we feel mm. that tension of holding the loss of what was and the good of what is now. And I think as adoptive parents, we need to be willing to hold both of those because they're both valuable mm. to our children. Like we can't Forget the loss. It's always going to be there. It's a part of their story. And then we can still rejoice in the love that is now. But I want to ask you, you know, even in writing this book, even if, you know, about just trusting God in the midst of things that don't make sense, and that would be in that one hand of the cruelty of the world, what are some ways that you have maybe practices or things that you've developed to help you hold that tension and trust God? Because to me, I see these as weights. And like some days I feel a little bit more than I feel the other of the goodness of, you know, God versus this and all the, we always have the goodness of God with us. I think you understand my example. What are some practices? Practices that you have found to help you really sit in that tension well? You know, the most important one is remembering. Mm. You talk about that in here. Memory. Yeah. yeah. I work, and even since I wrote this book, my practices for remembering have gotten deeper and more regular in the sense of morning and evening, taking deliberate time to remember the presence of God with me. So it's a it's based on an old, a 16th century Ignatian practice of examine based on the morning and evening. But in the evening time, I've never really done this until probably about this past year, 
of a 10 minute, 15 minute, not even a long one, but simply taking some time to recount the day, Jamie, mm. of where did I sense God's presence today? But not only that, where was I woefully ignorant of God's presence during the day? This is different from a moral inventory. It's not what did I do well? What did I not do well? Mm-hmm. It really is a 10 minute, 15 minute pause to remember that the truest thing about me now and that this day was that God was present with me. Where was I aware of him? Where was I not? And it's really wild, the kinds of things that God will bring to you in your memory. And what I found over the course of this year is it's actually built into me this growing sensitivity to God's presence with me. So I'll give you an example. Last night, as I'm doing my evening review of the day, I was reminded of this short little conversation that I had with somebody where he was appreciating something that I had done. And it came to mind for me because I remember sitting in that chair as he was saying this thing to me that I was sensing that this was the very voice of like the presence of God as Mm -hmm. he was speaking this encouragement to me through this brother. I don't know if I would have thought about that three months ago in that frame. Wow. And when you can practice remembering that way, the goodness of God, it develops in us that reflex of when we're facing the trouble, like who is God and Mm. what has he promised? What do I know about him? It really creates the personal portfolio of God's goodness to us. Uh, You know, a friend of mine says that you've got to determine who God is before you face the fire. Yep. And that is one practice that's really helpful. And it's very scriptural. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I had, I can't remember where, so I hate not being able to quote this, but I I read in a book where a woman had said that they were taking one of her children back for surgery. And she looked at her husband. She said, we need to decide right now, is God good before the Mm. surgery? Because if we choose to decide after based on the outcome, that's not a good spot. And that's what you talked about, like helping you develop that, like, who is he before we walk through the fire? If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Can you give me an example of how you might miss his presence in the day? Because I'm going to be honest, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I love this practice. This sounds amazing. Okay, I'm going to think of all the ways that I sensed it. But how do we, besides the help of the Holy Spirit, obviously, how would we sense where we missed him? I feel like that I would not be able to notice that because I already missed him. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. So it's actually in the review of it. You can look. So have you ever had one of those days where, you know, you're retiring for bed and you think to yourself for a moment, oh my gosh, I had a quiet time this morning. I don't even remember if I thought about that quiet time today. Uh That's a review and you're reviewing and you're saying where I missed it. But now if you take it down to particular situations, so going back to yesterday, I can go out of my review. There was this one conversation. So I'm thinking about, there was another conversation where I was so anxious and I was so like even reactionary, like inside I was upset and angry. And I'm thinking about that. I said, where was God in that? I had total amnesia in that three-minute response in my own heart that, oh, I am a son, I'm a beloved, the king knows my name. I forgot all of that because of this one email that came. I see what you're saying, where you go back and say, in this moment, I was not acting as someone who remembers who I am and that God is with me. Got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, I think my list would be so long some days, Mitchell. (laughs) Yeah, but Jamie, this is where it's like, remember, it's like you are meeting with God as you're going through it. Yeah. And so you're saying, Father, would you reveal to me, would you reveal to me the places where I missed you? Mm. And God's not going to do it as a chastiser, as a scorned Mm. lover. He does it as a father who says, hey, 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 remember I was here? I'm here and I'm drawing you back to myself. And the most important, actually, part of that whole practice for me has been the last part, which is the resolve. Lord, as I face tomorrow, this is the help I will need Mm. from you. It has been an incredible way to close my day because it's developing me this practice of not just remembering where God was and his goodness, but also remembering that God is with me tomorrow. So good. 
That's and so, over so the good. days, it builds it. It builds the sensitivity towards it. So that's a huge practice. Huge, 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 huge practice because we are not good at remembering. We are just not good at it. We're good at remembering the things where we think we screwed up. I really like remembering. Mm. Here's where I did do this well. Another thing you mm. talk about in here is one that just drew me in so much because it is something that I literally did just yesterday in my life. And I have this phrase that my girlfriends and I use often where we'll say, tell yourselves the gospel, tell yourself what mm. is true. Like, you know, mm. and so you have a section, it's called be the best preacher that you know. And it says, you quoted David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And I've heard that before. And there's this practice that I try to do well to myself. Well, I remind myself of what is true. Like when I start to get anxious, when I start to do this, I spoke at a conference just yesterday and I followed Derwin Gray and went right before David Platt. And I was just like... (laughs) What am I actually, and Pastor Choco, who I'd never met before, who was also amazing. I literally thought to myself, I cannot tell you how many times I had to preach to myself yesterday of, Jamie, they invited you here because they wanted you. You have something valuable to say. You're qualified to be here. God has gifted you. God has given you a word. And so I did that all day yesterday, let me tell you. And I got through it, but I think that's important. So talk to us a little bit about how that is helpful for us, specifically in these moments of, you know, disappointments and overwhelming and life's not going the way you thought it was going to go. Yeah, because we all have narratives and ways that we interpret the world. See, if we were on like a a clear channel with no other noise, then okay, like just kind of go with it, respond, figure out what you need to do, but it's not the case, right? My curiosity would be, if you were completely authentic in this, Jamie, when you were in the midst of that, what did you have to preach over? So as you're telling yourself, you know, they invited you here. You've got God's laid something in your heart. You're preaching that over some other narrative or or, or something oh, yeah. that's already on your sound wave in your mind, in your heart. Yeah. And that narrative is something that I've had to fight for, you know, the last five years of you're not as good as this person. You've never been to seminary. What if they knew how you lost your temper with your daughter this weekend, you know, or mm-hmm. just fill in the blank if you feel like, I don't know that I can do this. And then having to really tell myself what is true about God's word and about his character. The same things. I mean, the funny thing is, Mitchell, I think if we would just write down the things that we tell other people (laughs) and then we would like (laughs) tell them back to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, because it's so deceptive that the narratives that we play in our head, they sound like us. So they must be true. And so we play in those narratives and, you know, even in the sociological world, Brene Brown, a lot of her work is on this, the narrative stuff of your SFD, she calls it, right? Your stormy first draft. Mm -hmm. She uses a different word than stormy, but she uses it for the PG version of it. She says stormy first draft. And it's the way we interpret somebody looks at us wrong or the way we interpret the world around us. And it's usually very negative mm. about us. This, this, and maybe that's part of the nature of sin. Uh, you know, St. Augustine talks about the nature of sin is the curvature of the self in and upon the self. We can't break out of the self. We can't break out of our own self condemnation. Uh, we can't break out of our own self-righteousness. So we have to be able to speak and we have to learn to do exactly what you did to preach to ourselves what is true. Paul David Tripp says it this way. He says that who you believe you are and what resources you believe you have available to you, it's going to be directly responsible for how you respond to every situation in life. Mm. Every situation in life, who you are and what resources you have available. So if you're an orphan and you have the only resources are your own wit and your own skill and your own competence, then you're going to show up a certain way. But if you're a daughter of the king, if you are not forgotten, 
if you are more than just a cancer patient, mm -hmm. who God says you are. And right. so we have to preach that to ourselves. We have to preach that to ourselves. And because out of that identity comes all the resources. Right. You have the very spirit of God in you. You have a word from the Lord in mm -hmm. you. So go up there and preach, girl. Mm -hmm. Go up there and share what the Lord has sent to you. And then walk off that stage, not worried about what people thought about you because you're a daughter right. of the king. Right. I know. A friend told me this a long time ago. She said, you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And I was like, that is how so freeing, right? How freeing, how freeing, right? Nothing to prove and nothing to lose. You know, speaking of preaching, uh, you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. And although your pastoring journey started out rocky, fill in the blank for us. What happened after that year of living in the basement and working at the deli? And how are you a pastor now today? So the Lord was really restoring my heart towards him to see and to behold his goodness, that he was good regardless of how it turned out in my life. I remember tearfully making that my own even if declaration, the beginning of one at that point saying, even if I never pastor again, I'm going to worship you, Lord. Mm -hmm. You're worthy of it. I'm going to serve the people who come to this deli as if uh, they are my congregation, so to speak, which was really cool because on the last day that I was at the deli, I was telling this one lady that I was uh, moving to Chicago and she's like, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to be a pastor there. And then she looked at me and she goes, oh, makes sense, which I thought was kind of wow. cool. That, mm -hmm. You know, we had developed that sort of relationship. Yeah. But a long story short, the Lord opened a door for me to get back into ministry in Chicago. I was in Maryland at the time. I was very reluctant to go into it because I was like, are you sure about this? Do you guys know who I am? Are you sure? Are you sure I'm a right fit? And moved to Chicago and I had gotten married just before that. Actually, I moved to Chicago. I was already engaged. I came back to Maryland, got married, and then brought my bride out to Chicago. And we were out there for eight years in this church. We were the ethnic diversity of our church. Got it. And so it was a total new culture, new kind of church. We had grown up on the East Coast, small, I mean, not a small, but a Korean immigrant church. Mm -hmm. And now at this mostly white church in the Midwest, got nothing in common except the gospel. Yeah. That'll do some things for you. Right. And we became adults there and was in line to receive the baton from my mentor. And right then another church in Maryland was like, hey, can you, why don't you come in? Almost like a lateral move. Actually, it wasn't a lateral. It was actually kind of a step down in the sense of come and serve and start over. And we just felt like God calling us back to go to Maryland. Mm. And so we said goodbye to that family after eight years. And we've been in Maryland for nine years and where I've been the lead pastor of our church for the last five and a half. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you have how many children? We have five kids, five kids from 14 to four. And you... uh, we love it, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> For all those that are listening. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. You know, we have three boys and then we got a girl and we were like, I mean, we were good after three. And then we got our fourth girl. We we're like, great. I guess the Lord thought we weren't dependent enough on him. And he gave us another little Owen who's just been a joy. But it's hard. It is so hard. And even to be thinking about the formation of these five kids, a lot of energy and time goes into it. But it's our circus. We love it. It's a lot of chaos, but it's our chaos. So that's kind of what we say, too. We have four. <laughs> and they're as of today that we're recording, they are 13, 15, 16, and 17. And so we're in the midst of all the teenager stuff. And I told someone the other day, I say, listen, I love a big family and I'm so glad we have a big family. But what you don't think about when you are, you know, young and married and like, let's have a bunch of kids is that these kids are so expensive when they are older. They are so expensive. And so if you think this is all awesome, my kids, their tennis shoes now cost like $150 each. Like we're not getting oh by on gosh. like, I'll give you $25 to go get some tennis shoes. So I always say, oh. count the costs. That's what I always yeah. say. <laughs> Literally. I feel, 
<laughs> I feel like we're like right on the front edge of that curve where, Oh my gosh. Oh man. I'm, the I just first know the time my boys needed to buy shoes in the adult aisle, I was like, Oh, we're done. Like this <laughs> kid shoes are so much better. Amen. That's right. That's oh, right. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, Mitchell, one of the things I love talking to authors after they've written a book is about what has happened in their own heart in the midst of writing before or after, because writing books is this overflow of what God is already teaching you. And us as readers, we get to, you know, we benefit from mm. what God has done in your own personal life through this journey. And so this book came out in August. Everyone that's listening knows author stuff. That means you wrote this book in a year and a half to two years ago. What has God done in your life still after writing this book that includes so much of your own journey that is such a gift to us in the church? Tell me what's been going on with you. Yeah, it's actually a story that begins right in the middle of the process. So a year and a half, I actually wrote this book almost twice. That's so the fun. first, <laughs> yeah, the first manuscript I submitted, I submitted in January of 2020. Mm. So just everybody put that into oh, the wow. chronology. So everything's shutting down in March. But if you read the book, you're like, wait a second, but you've got all these COVID references uh -huh. and things like that. So I wrote it in January 2020. Publisher was saying, it's good, but we think we need to change the voice up a little bit. Will you give it a substantive rewrite? Uh -huh. So I said, I can totally do that. It's actually answering a lot of questions that I had in the writing process, no problem. So that was that conversation happened in February. March, everything shuts down. I don't even want to touch it until May. And then the next three months, I'm rewriting the whole thing as wow. COVID's unfolding all around us. And then through the year, the revision process, mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff more stuff about COVID. This is what I learned about the even if declaration. And I, I wish I'd said it even clearer. Even if it's not a one-time declaration you make over your life and then, hey, I'm an even if warrior now, I'm great. It's more like a tapestry that each defining moment, each season allows you to pull a thread across and weave it into this thing. And while everything's happening in the nation, I pastor a multi-ethnic church that across the nation right now, multi-ethnic churches have just taken a beating over just everything and the division and all these things. And I will tell you that we lost a lot of people wow. during COVID. Mm -hmm. Very hurtful things, painful things, my missteps, other people. I mean, just a whole lot of different things. And a whole new even if declaration was rising. In, in fact, as recently as just a few months ago of, oh my gosh, even if this church shrinks, mm. I'm going to worship you, Lord. I thought I had even if mastered. I thought mm -hmm. I had it mastered, Jamie. I mean, I wrote the book on it. Mm -hmm. Man, that was hard because then you're still facing the places of your own imposter self coming to grips with how much of a people pleaser I can be mm. and how if I'm living out of my true self, again, that preaching to ourselves of who we are in God, like I needed to do that more and more. And I didn't realize how entrenched this approval of people was in my heart until even the last couple of months. Even when the book came out, I remember... Yeah on the 17th of the morning, I was so excited. And then I was like, oh my gosh, people are going to actually read this. Yeah. And if they read this, what if they see all the errors in the places where I'm like, oh, why did I write it that way? Like, what if mm -hmm. they see all that? So what if they hate it? What if they put up a one-star yeah. review? God <laughs> help me. You just feel so exposed and yeah. you have to come back to, well, even if yeah. God, you're good and I will worship you. Mm. So this declaration is continuing to be raised and built in my own life. And then out of the woodwork in my own church is people responding to this message. Uh, I had a couple married for 18 years. They can't have children. And they're coming to me afterwards and saying, even if we can't have children, we're going to worship the Lord. That just humbles you. You just realize, oh my gosh, you're just surrounded by even if warriors who've really got this, they could have written this book. Yeah. 
So those are the kinds of things that God is doing in my own heart, in my own life. I love that. You get a lot of this context for your book from the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't want to assume that my listeners all know this story. So can you give them an overview real quick of what's happening in the book of Daniel right now with these particular characters? Yeah. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are friends of Daniel. They are, in essence, uh, trafficked out of Jerusalem. When Jerusalem falls, according to God's promise that he was going to turn the city over, Babylon comes in, traffics all the promising young adults and youth back to Babylon, changes their names, acculturates them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego become part of the king's royal advisors. And Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea from some other advisors that since he's the greatest, everybody else should know he's the greatest. And so he builds this statue of himself and they have this like Nebuchadnezzarian theme song that they play. And every time they play it, everyone's supposed to bow. And these three young Hebrews refuse to bow. So Nebuchadnezzar has this showdown. He brings them in. He starts off real cordial. They're his advisors. And hey, I heard this is true. Come on. Next time the music plays, bow, because what God is able is going to be able to save you. And that is not a rhetorical question. He has just conquered Jerusalem. And in essence, he's like, you're saying that your God's going to be able to save you? Right. And their response is what blew me away. They said, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. Okay. Like, think about it for a second, Jamie. If your kids... If you're like, hey, hey, I want you to clean your rooms. And like, you know what? We don't even need to answer you in this matter, mom. It would not I'm not going to be well. a happy mom. Yeah. yeah, It would not finish well. You know, I mean, they're going to need God's deliverance, uh-huh. right, for that. So that's the first way they respond. They're like, most powerful man on the planet. We don't need to answer you. But if that's the case, if you throw us in this fire, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship anyone else. And that's the context of it and how that works. I mean, God doesn't deliver them from the fire. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it is so very good. And I've always loved that story. I'm thinking of, you mentioned this even if declaration and for you personally, and even for our listeners, like, is this something that, like if someone's going through, let's have two people right now. If someone's going through a really difficult season right now, you know, and it's like, even if I don't get that raise or even if this layoff does happen, or even if that diagnosis does not get changed or whatever it might be, what is your suggestion for them? I know we've talked a lot about like preaching to ourselves and a lot of those things that we've talked about, but you said, you know, your declaration has changed over the years. Is this something that you kind of create lay out and then meditate on a lot in a particular season? What does it look like for you and maybe even for the person listening? Yeah, the way you speak it, right? You'll find yourself, once you make an even if declaration that really resonates out of the core of your heart, you will find yourself saying it again and again and again. And I think it's really important that when a person is facing that kind of disappointment, especially if it's not, like I think some people listening, they'll they'll be able to say, well, yeah, if you get cancer, it's a much more deep even if declaration than if you don't get the job raise that you were hoping for a promotion. But I would say I would caution that the even if life is not the even so life. It's not just some sort of rollover passivity of like, oh, well, even if declaration really comes out of, if you want to give people a practice, it's okay to name your desire before the Lord. Mm. And it's okay to speak your disappointment to him. Lord, I really wanted that promotion. I really did. And it's okay to sit in that and bring that to God. Mm-hmm. I think most people are really afraid. Yeah to say what is so. And we have to be able to say that. That's what separates the even if declaration than just the even so. Eh, Okay. You know, Mm. not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It was a big deal. I wanted to be married by now, God. Mm. And I'm seeing somebody else married and my heart is hurting in this. And where are you, Lord? Mm. Ah, Who is God? Who is God again? You're the good God. You're the one who knows me. And I'm speaking to you this. And God, you know my desire to be married, but I hold it with an open hand. I bring that to you because I know you're good. I know you know my name. I know you 
see me. And even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to worship you. Mm. It's just that it's not saying it's okay, God, if it never happens, it's saying, even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to worship you. It's an authenticity in that resolve to worship God. It's not a Ned Flanders like, oh, well, it didn't matter anyway. No, it matters. It hurts. It's disappointing. It's confusing. It feels stuck. I'm bringing that to you, God, and I'm going to worship you in the midst of it. You know, it almost feels like when you're saying that, that we do have this tendency of like, it's not that big of a deal. It's fine. More people have it worse. You know, when we come to God like that, to me, I'm totally verbal processing here. To me, it makes the even if less powerful. because it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like I know that I'm not married and it's okay. It's okay, God, it's fine. It makes the even if a little less powerful, but that whole, like we see it in the Psalms all the time, that whole, like, where are you? Where have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? Even if this never happens and I feel this way, I will worship you because you are a good God. To me, that's powerful. And, And that is something that's going to move my soul to love God more in the midst of something that's disappointing. An example of this, John 11, Jesus shows up late to Lazarus and he's dead. And both Mary and Martha come out and say the same thing to him. If only you had been here, God, our brother would be alive. If only you had been here. They have the, I wouldn't say the audacity, but they have the trust to Mm. say this and speak this to the savior of the world walking amongst them. If only you'd been here. I think that's so real. And I think that's so, such a beautiful, the beginnings of the declaration of faith. Mm. If only, if only. We have to be able to speak those things. So good. Because they could have been like, you know, it's okay. You're busy. You're God. You're Jesus. Do what you need to do. But they didn't. They trusted him so much. They didn't. I mean, look at Lamentations in chapter Uh three. Jeremiah's like, this is, I'm like burning within. This is terrible. Yet, but yet I will hope in you. So, you know, going back to the ambidextrous faith, what you were saying, Jamie, is that basically if we lighten the trouble, we're not as ambidextrous. Right. Speak, speak what it is. Our father can handle it. He inv- th- invites it. He welcomes it. I think even going back to our beginning conversation about like how we say things to people because we want to lighten that load. I think let's go back to that conversation even for people who are listening, who are going to be sitting across a table for someone who's lamenting that you got to let them say those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've gone full circle in that whole conversation as to why we need to do that. So we say all these things and then we eventually get to the even if. I'll give you another example of this in my own heart and life. I think it was about maybe about two weeks ago. I'm talking with the publisher about this book and we're done. I'm done talking and suddenly I'm with the Lord. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I never spoke my desire before the Lord about this book. Lord, I want this message to go wide and far so it would help lots of people. I, Jamie, I never spoke that to the Lord. Like you were afraid to? Yeah, I yeah. was like reflecting. Why was I? Well, what if the Lord thinks that I'm trying to seek fame or be celebrity? Or like, what if the Lord, like I'm like project, like I'm living in this weird distortion of yeah. my relationship with God and not even speaking a desire before him. Or like you wanted to guard your heart from disappointment if it didn't. I do yes, that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like all of that. Belt. And I wasn't speaking my desire. I wasn't saying what is so. Mm. And I was like, Lord, I haven't said what is so. And here's why. And I just want to lay that before you because I know that's not true about your, my relationship with you and who you are. And Lord, I believe this message is from you. So would you make it go far and wide? Mm. I leave that to you, but would you just make it go far and wide? And it just was another curious way that I just, I was thinking some wrong things about my relationship with God. I was afraid to speak to him, the desires of my heart. That's even convicting for me right now with a particular relationship that feels like it has no 
possibility of getting better, but I desire it to, but I'm even convicted by your words of like, am I telling God what I want? Because I'm kind of trying to guard myself. Like I'll guard my heart because so, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get my hopes up, you know, by telling God what I want. And that is just a kind of a skewed view. And it's kind of making myself God even like, you know, like in that scenario. So thank you for sharing that so much. Um, Mitch, I too pray that this book goes far and wide. I had the honor to read it. And one of my favorite parts is the end when you write out prayers for people. And even if prayer for when you feel stuck, when you are disappointed, when you fail, when your past comes haunting, these are great prayers for people to even meditate on their own in here. So thank you for this work that you put into the world. It's very much needed. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. I would love to hear what you're reading these days. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm reading a fourth century work by John Cassian called The Conferences. How nerdy is that? But it's been ministering to my soul, Jamie. And I love con- it. The context of this is this guy goes into the desert in the fourth century to find these monks who are walking with God, and he has interviews with them. And he interviews them about like different questions regarding the Christian life. And so this first one is like, how do we stay focused in the Christian life? Wow. And it's just this... It's so nerdy. I'm like, but it's so devotionally ministering to my soul. I love it's it. been pretty amazing. Well, we should learn from the monks on how to stay focused. I'll tell you that much. So. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Although, you know, they had to, they, they ran away and got rid of all the distractions to do it. I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind know, of eat. Like if I had, stacked. if I lived on an island and had no distractions, maybe I could focus better too. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Right. And then Katie Camillo is one of my favorite authors. She's a children's book author. And she just wrote a book called The Beatrice Prophecy. My daughter's name is Beatrice. So I just finished reading that. Tell me what else she's written because the name sounds so familiar. Oh, gosh. The Tale of Despero. Uh-huh. Because of Win Dixie. Yes, 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 right? yes. I mean, you're a children's book yeah. author. You should yeah. know, you know, and just the noble simplicity yeah. of these books. I and have so read some of her stuff. I am a, unapologetically a children's book lover. And people will come over and be like, oh, your your kid's collection is so big. I'm like, sure. Yeah, it's all for the kids. It's actually kids, And they have to ask me to borrow books, but uh, uh, that's okay. I so love I just it. read the Beatrice Prophecy. That was a fun read. And then I'm reading Essentialism by Greg McKeown. Have you read that one? I have started it four times. Maybe that gives you a little idea about my life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good of him to hear I've started his Essentialism book four times? Four times. Oh, yeah. Someone yes. told me I should listen to it. Oh. Are you an audible listener? Do you listen to books ever? For certain ones, especially when I get a recommendation, like Ready Player One, Will Whedon reads it. And it was... 
it was really good. But I have a new appreciation for that because I got to record the audiobook for Even If. It's fun. And it's oh, hard that work. Was so much fun. That was so yeah. much yeah. fun. At the end of the day, you're like, I have no more words to say out loud to anyone. So there's no talking for the rest of the day. Absolutely. But I remember walking in, I'm like, hey, am I allowed to put some emotion into this thing? And they were like, yes, please. And so I was like, so you're basically telling me I can preach my manuscript. Yes. Yes. I don't think they understood what that meant, but I had a blast. I love that. I love that. I listen to fiction books mostly on Audible. So that's easy for me. Mitchell, I have loved this conversation so much. I think it's going to be such a blessing to so many people because like we said in the beginning, there's no one that does not understand disappointments and trials and suffering. And when life just clearly you go, I don't know why this is happening. There's no answer here. And so I think that is something that we can all relate to. And what a a help that your words that you've crafted together through the work of the Holy Spirit to remind us of things, to walk through that and really declare even if statements over our lives. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for uh, this conversation. It really is an answered prayer in so many ways for me. So I'm really grateful to the Lord. Awesome. Thank you. You guys, what I think I'm going to walk away from this conversation the most is that we shouldn't be afraid to speak what is true about our feelings and our disappointments to God. So many times I want to guard my heart from getting hurt, or I think that God's going to be angry at me if I tell them what I want really, or or how I'm disappointed or, or what I hope for. And man, I just want to think of God as my father. And I would want my kids to say these things to me so that I could be their mom, so that I could parent them, so that I could love them, so that I could be with them in the midst of whatever they were walking through. Through. And so that's what spoke to me the most. I would love to hear what spoke to you the most about this conversation. You can leave a, a comment on from the blog post where we do the show notes. It's jamieivy.com slash HH442. Find me on Instagram for the post about Mitchell and let's have a conversation there. I just really hope that you are encouraged. And if you want to pick up his book, you can get it wherever books are sold. It's called Even If by Mitchell Lee. Friends, don't forget, next Friday is our holiday gift guide. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. It's going to be here before you know it. Make sure you check back to the podcast. Listen wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll hear our show. You can also find it on YouTube and over at jamieivy.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes do you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing? Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend.
If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today.